Hey friends, welcome back to the Semi-Seminarian Podcast, another installment in our Bible study series, which we're calling the Bible for Grown-Ups. And in this study series, what we're doing is we're making the assumption that most of us, unfortunately, were taught the Bible, God's plan for us in the world, His story among us. We're taught that story either as children or we came to God later and we were taught the Bible as adults, unfortunately, by, well, people that were taught the Bible as children. So we're treating the stories of the Bible. We're trying to retrace the steps of Scripture in a way which we can understand it as adults because we have to use God's blueprint in adult world. In this week's installment, we finish up our series on Jacob. In this episode, Jacob finally gets the blessing that he receives from God, but not after a good old-fashioned, I mean, knock-down, drag-out fight with God. So tonight's episode we call Getting the Blessing, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start again here. Uh, tonight, we are in the final uh, lesson here on Jacob. Our series has been called the Jacob Enigma. And we have discovered throughout the series that there really is a, an enigma, a puzzle, a mystery to this character, Jacob. Because one of the things that we find in looking at his story is that Jacob wants and seeks God's blessings, God's plan for his life, but... He, and through almost his entire life, strives to try to get the blessings that God had already given him. So it's a bit of a mystery. We also find if we open ourselves up to honesty, we might also find a little bit of ourselves in the story of Jacob as well. Because our own lives often are characterized, we as people are people that recognize the goodness that is available to us with God's blessings. We desire to have them, but often... Rather than allowing the Spirit to work on our lives and things to happen in God's timing and in God's ways, we strive, we grab at, we grasp at those things, trying to gain them for ourselves rather than being bestowed upon them, those blessings by God. So we kind of find ourselves in Jacob as well. This is going to be my last night tonight uh, looking at Jacob, at least for now. There's some stuff in the middle there I think might come back as a sermon, but you'll have to stay tuned for that. So let's look at chapter 32. This is a great story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'm calling the uh, message tonight, Getting the Blessing. I know it's a very uh, generic concept, you know. Uh, What is this blessing that you're talking about? Well, any blessing, right? You can fit this into anything that you like. But there are principles that we're going to look back on tonight that we can apply both personally and our personal individual lives as Christians as well as corporately, as groups, as the group of Christian believers. How do we get the blessing of God, both individually and corporately? So, uh, you've been supplied the script for tonight. I'll begin reading at verse 22 of Genesis 32. We're reading to the end of the chapter. The same night he, that's Jacob, got up, took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's the name of a river. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had and Jacob was left alone. Semicolon. And while he's alone, something happens, right? And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he was wrestling with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. The man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. The angel blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Sun rose up uh, on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Thus ends the reading this evening. Now, if you've been with us for these studies in Jacob, you'll know already that Jacob, who is an Old Testament patriarch, one of the fathers of the people of Israel, this is the Israel whom the children are a part of, right? This is the guy. Whenever he switches his name to Israel, it's his sons that will then lead the 12 tribes and as they grow to become the people, the nation of Israel. And if you remember that we, we pointed all the way through that we really see this picture of Jacob as a picture of our human fleshly nature. Right? And remember that the root meaning in the Hebrew of Jacob means supplanter, or it means one who seizes, one who grabs at. Yaakov, Yaakov, here, Yaakov is the Hebrew, and it's actually a play on words, uh, because the roots actually are two root words, heel and twist, as if to twist one's heel, to grab and twist one's heel. And that's, of course, a reference back to the time when he and Esau were being born, so that Jacob could be born uh, first. Remember, we also saw that Jacob is definitely an opportunist. And he, uh, the idea seemed to work for him that through his own subtlety and his shrewdness and his stealth, that Jacob ends up displacing his brother Esau and actually gaining to seek the blessing on his life. And we need to understand this, right? We've been down on Jacob this entire time, Right? But we also need to remember, especially tonight, that Jacob does covet the blessing of God in his life. Jacob does recognize the value of God's blessing in his life. And he does want it. Now remember, yes, when we're talking about blessings back in this period, we are talking about land and wealth. The things that, are come, that come with the acquisition of the father's property. But... There's more to it. There is a spiritual element to the blessings here that Jacob wanted. Jacob didn't just want the money in the land. Jacob truly desired God's blessing. The problem is that Jacob tried to acquire that blessing through his own fleshly means. Right? He wants to be satisfied. The problem is he wants to do it in the wrong way. The problem is Jacob is always looking for meaning in the wrong places, apart from God's ways. You see, this is the message really that Jacob shows us. God's blessings must be gained God's ways. We can't get God's favor through our own human fleshly nature. We've learned these nights, right, that we have to come to this experience of dying to the self. Right? And that starts when you come to the cross, right? to Jesus at the cross at conversion, version, believing that Jesus Christ and his, his death on the cross can truly save you. But there's more to the Christian life than just that. Right? That conversion moment. Right? We also have to stay at the cross. A lot of us move on, I think, from that moment. Right? We should grow from our conversion. We must, after getting converted, right, or being saved, or having salvation, or being born again, or whatever, you know, whatever you're talking about, this conversion moment is the threshold of the salvation experience, but we are called, we are compelled to explore every room in the house of salvation, right? The adventure that our Heavenly Father has for us. But it also does not ever mean that we have to get off of our knees from being on the cross. We always must be first and foremost. We've got to take up that cross and we have to choose to follow Christ daily. That means a daily diet of repentance. Constantly changing your mind. Renewing your mind. Reminding yourself. To orient your life towards the obedience of the Word of God. Changing your lifestyle so that it becomes into the plumb line of God's desires, God's truth. So we have to die to ourselves, right? The clay part of you, the part that 
that craves and wants and desires and is prideful and is jealous, right? That fleshly part we find in Jacob and we also find in ourselves. Let me turn real quickly. You stay, obviously you just have that piece. Let me turn to uh, 28, Genesis 28. Let me remind us an incredible experience of Jacob. And this is how he responds in verse 20. This was last time after the experience of seeing uh, Jacob's ladder. Right? Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. Remember that? Now, by the way, there are lots of promises already where God says, I will. I will. Don't worry. I will. I am. I shall. So God is giving Jacob a guarantee emphatically. God is telling Jacob, I am going to do what I've said. But in verse 20, Jacob says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way where I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And what's he doing? We talked about this last week, right? He's trying to make a deal with God. He's trying to square his obedience to God under his own terms. We also mentioned last week that one of the things that this definitely shows us is that there's a certain amount of grace we see in God by just choosing not to call the whole thing off. I mean, you could only imagine Jacob coming to you and, or, or Jacob coming to God and, 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 and being uh, confronted with the reality of God and being being confronted with the reality of the spiritual realms and then to want to make deals with God. So this revelation, genuine as it was, at least because our story continues tonight, doesn't seem to be enough for Jacob to get where he needed to be. Get to a place where he could actually get God's blessing. So how does he get the blessing? Right. The truth is, And if you remember this, I think I've said this almost every one of these uh, nights. Jacob already had the blessing. Right? In chapter 25, we're told his mother was told, rather, the elder will serve the younger. Jacob didn't have to scheme. Jacob didn't have to plan and through stealth and through cunning and through uh, subtlety to try and grab at the blessing. Right? God had already promised Jacob he would have the blessing. He just had to wait on it. So he, he had the blessing. In fact, God is telling him over and over again, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll do everything I've said to you. But Jacob's flesh, our flesh, keeps getting in the way. That's why we find the Lord interrupting him again. In Genesis chapter 28 at Bethel, which we talked about last week, and now... We see him again interrupting this fleshly cycle. In Genesis 28, he has to get Jacob. Remember we talked about sometimes God has to knock you out to get your attention. Right? You just can't stop long enough. You can't sit still long enough, God says, for me to get your attention. So wham, I'm going to incapacitate you because I've got something I need to explain to you. Yeah? You have to see him doing this. Again, this is another one of these encounters. I believe chapter 32 here, when we start to see this part of Jacob, this is the part where Jacob, I think, starts to begin to get it. Not just the blessing, but actually getting it within the economy of God. Right? How blessing comes and how it can never be achieved. Right? So, if if, if we want to look at the blessings and how to get it, Let's uh, consider two questions. Number one, how to get it. Do you want it? Do you want the blessing? Of course. How do you get it? And secondly, what does that blessing look like? How do you get the blessing? Whatever that is, first of all, right? First of all, from Jacob, we see that you need to come to the end of yourself. Jacob learns the hard way. Why? Because he won't face the reality of his own fleshly nature. Now, we are skipping a lot. I mentioned this at the beginning. We're skipping a lot from our last study, right? We were in 28, now we're in 32. But let me just kind of give you a real quick rundown of what happens in the interim, right? He meets Laban, who becomes his father-in-law. And really, effectively, he ends up, when he ends up coming face-to-face with this character, Laban, we actually find that he comes face-to-face with a character just like himself. Because Laban is a schemer in the flesh. 
just like Jacob was. It was like Jacob was looking in the mirror. The only problem is, is that when Jacob looked at this mirror reflection, he didn't like what he saw. But it was really himself he was seeing. And if you know anything about the story, and forgive me if you don't, but Laban tricks Jacob into marry, uh, marrying Leah first, the oldest daughter, when he, prom- when he was promised to be married to Rachel, right? And then he, he tricks uh, Jacob, and then he doesn't find out till on his wedding night. Can you imagine? You find out on your wedding night you've ended up marrying the wrong gal, right? And then Laban says, you've got to work for me another seven years, and you can, then you can actually get the wife that you were promised, right? Laban requires... Jacob to labor for another seven years in order to marry Rachel. He's married, working 14 years for these two wives because his, his uh, father-in-law had tricked him. Over and over and over again, we see he is done dirty by Laban, his father-in-law. But then tit for tat, Jacob returns the favor. Jacob tricks Laban out of some livestock, and I don't want to get into this because it didn't really it kind of confuses me. It's a very interesting operation of cunning and ingenuity. And as a matter of fact, there's another kind of weird deal where it's like uh, through a dream, the Lord kind of helps him out through this uh, through this clever plan. Anyway, we're not talking about tonight, but this, we still find the sinister part of Jacob coming forward. Jacob fears uh, fears that Laban now that he's been tricked again. Laban's really going to come after him. He's pretty mad at him. So Jacob takes his wives and his possessions and he flees, flees Laban. Now we talked several studies ago about how we, when we look at the family of Jacob, the family of the people of Israel, we find an extremely dysfunctional family. And it does not end when they've taken this show on the road. These people are just as dysfunctional as the other people, right? Now, eventually, I just want to say, Laban and Jacob do uh, catch up. They do smooth things over with a covenant. But you can't see in this whole story, can't help but see, rather, that Jacob is beginning to feel worn down. Jacob has connived. He's schemed. He's plotted. He's planned. And then he's ran. Right? And he gets to another place and he plots and he schemes. And he plans and then he runs away again. Here we find the same situation again. Here we find Jacob on the run again. Right? Being pursued because he's choosing not to deal with his fleshliness. Now there are some glimmers of hope also in these middle chapters because he does uh, contact Esau. Right? Remember he took his, uh, the birthright for a pot of stew. Uh, He communicates him in order to find favor with Esau. It might indicate a bit of a changing of the heart, although that's up for biblical debate. But Esau replies to Jacob saying he's going to pay a visit. And all of a sudden, Jacob fears Esau meeting him face to face. So he's been face to face with Laban. He doesn't like what he sees. It's caused him all sorts of problems. Now he tries to do something right for once. And now he fears just in case Esau goes after uh, one of his camps, he splits his camp into two so that even if Esau goes after one of them, the other of his two camps will survive. It is anticipating the face-to-face encounter with Esau that Jacob comes to a face-to-face encounter with the living God. And he ends up wrestling God. Now, I know this passage of Scripture has been taught and preached many times, right? Uh, and many of you might very well be uh, familiar with it. But I... I do have many questions about the wrestling uh, with the Lord part. Uh, we so often hear Jacob commended about wrestling with the Lord and wrestling through uh, as we should, right? It's good that Jacob wrestled with the Lord as a symbol for us because it's a reminder to us that we should wrestle, right, through prayer and persistence with God, right? Okay. I'll not let you go until you bless me, but I really wonder is he wrestling with God? Should it be commended at all? Yes, his persistence is to be commended. And his desperation at the end of the story. But please note that all through the entirety of the whole narrative of tonight's story, we're being told over and over and over and over again that God's blessings didn't have to be wrestled from the hands of God. Right? Why is he wrestling? He doesn't have to wrestle anything away from God. God's already given these things to Jacob. He's already assured him of his presence. 
Right? I've got a theory. This is a theory of mine. Right? You don't have to believe this. You can disagree with me. It's all I always say, but I believe Jacob was actually wrestling with himself. You don't have to wrestle away blessings from God. I'm not saying you don't have to have perseverance in prayer. You do. Right? But Jacob actually gets to a place where he no longer asserts his strength. And he finds brokenness before God. And it's only then that the blessings come through. I'll leave you to think about that. Really, the principle is you must come to the end of yourself. Maybe you're wrestling even in your own spiritual experiences, right? Because you, me, we are operating like Jacob in the flesh. We're trying to get spiritual blessings through the energy of the flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we keep wrestling and facing face to face over and over and over again, right? Even when we meet with God, we're wrestling. Here's a second principle on how to get the blessing. So is that an example of interpreting scripture non, in a non-literal way, more metaphorical? Yes. Yes. I'm intending to the, for this to be metaphorical. Yes. So that means there's other places like that. Absolutely there are. Yes. We should be completely comfortable with that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, here's the second principle that we need to get for getting the blessing. We need to come to the end of ourselves. Secondly, we need to confess what we've been like. We need to be honest. Look at verse 27. Chapter 32, verse 27. This supposed angel asks, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. You might say, well, what's the news there, right? That's his name. He's telling you what his name is. But remember, what does Jacob mean? Right? It means twisted. It means supplanter. He's not just confessing what his name is he's confessing to his character he's actually leveling and being honest with god he's admitting that he is jacobed remember the jeremiah passage that we've quoted the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who could know it the word for deceitful is the root in hebrew yakob yakob right here that is the root word for deceived right We have been, we must recognize. It's only when we admit what we are and what we've been that we can get a new name and receive a blessing. There has to be honesty and there has to be grace and there has to be truth. And those things have to always come together, right? If you will not be transparent and you will not admit what you really are in yourself, you cannot break into the blessings of God. It is by grace, don't get me wrong, but you cannot expect to live in a fleshly experience and move under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and blessings. It's just impossible to do. So how do we get the blessing? One, we need to be able to come to the end of ourselves. Number two, we need to confess what we've been like. And three, sometimes we need to let some good things go by. Confess what you've been like. And number three, we need to let some good things pass by. I think this is very instructive. right? We can very easily just rush over verses 22 and 23 at the beginning of the story. But let's look at it. He arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Verse 24 says, Then Jacob was left alone. And just for a break, this reminds me actually of a story that we find uh, also in the Hebrew Scripture, the story of Saul, the first king of Israel, right? This really impressed me, the anointing of Saul's king. Um, if you know the story, you might remember that Samuel had identified Saul as being God's chosen one. Right? He takes him to anoint him with the vial of oil for the king. We read in 1 Samuel 9, verse 27, listen to this. As they're going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. Then Samuel says to Saul, But you stand here a while, that I might announce to you the word of God. In other words, let everybody else, let the entourage, let the stuff. You're being paraded around as being the king. 
right? Let the fanfare of that stuff go by. That stuff is good, but you need to stay right here because I need to speak the Word of God to you. That stuff is good. This is great. Sometimes to get close to God, closer to God, sometimes when we get to the end of ourselves, we must also remember that there are times in the world we're going to have to let things that we like, things that we think are good, things that we think are fun, pass us by. Passing the good by for the better. If you want blessings in your life, whatever it might mean for you at this particular juncture, and everybody in here would have a different story, you're going to have to let some Good things go by for the better. It even says the Lord Jesus at Gethsemane. You remember he had 12 disciples? Right? Then he had the three guys, Peter, James, and John. Right? And he tells them to pray with him, wait for him. And then there are these very insightful words that are recorded. He went a little farther. He went a little farther. He felt on the ground and prayed. So this principle that you need to let some of the good things pass you by really means you have to forego the good at times to gain the best. That confuses a lot of people because there is this concept in Christian life where now that I've become a Christian, everything is supposed to be easy and everything's supposed to be fun. And I'm supposed to have all this money, right? I'm supposed to now enjoy everything. And don't get me wrong, right? I do believe in the prosperity in our lives in the sense that God always has God's best for you, but that doesn't always equate to the world's best, to the American dream, or whatever you might think is success. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So I wonder tonight, let me ask you friends, are we at the end of ourselves? Have you truly confessed what you've been like in regards to the flesh? And remember, not just the sinful, bad flesh, But the works of the flesh that sometimes are are the good actions, but for the wrong reasons. Trying to grasp for the blessings of God in the flesh. Trying to achieve God's favor on our own. Are you prepared tonight to let things that you might consider to be good things, good opportunities, good possessions, good prospects, good times. Are you ready to pass, let them pass you by in order to get God's best Another principle of how to get the blessing is you need to get alone with God. As Jacob sent all of his possessions, all the good things over the Jabbok, it says in verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now many of us are terrified of being alone. That's completely understandable. Because we fear loneliness. But we're not talking talking about loneliness when we're not around other people. You gotta remember, you can't be alone when you're with God. You're with someone, right? And it doesn't matter. I, I don't underst- uh, underestimate what it's like for whatever you might, whatever situation you might be in. The, maybe it's through bereavement or divorce or being single or whatever, right? But you know, one of the reasons why we fear aloneness, why we fear stillness, is because when we get quiet. And you don't need me to tell you this. Your own life experience tells you this is true. When we get quiet, when we become isolated, the core issues of our lives, the brokenness, the baggage, the bondage, they start to bubble up to the surface. And we find ourselves very uncomfortable. It's one of the reasons why we find quietness difficult even in church. Now, this will revolutionize, I think, some of your experiences of stillness, if you can really get to this, okay? We, we run from our, we've got to run from our central, sinful nature, right? But we need to understand that it's not necessarily our spiritual enemy who's always bringing those, those things up to the surface. Because when you get into the presence of God, God's Holy Spirit will bring those things up. Not to distress you. But that you can deliver them, that you can release them to God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were in the presence of God and that we were so comfortable with God's presence and we were just so comfortable understanding God's uh, heart towards us that we could just pray like this. Lord, this is silly, isn't it? You already know the sins of my heart. You already know this stuff is there. God, take them away. Right? As if God doesn't already know the sins of your heart. 
Right? We push it down. We push it down. And we, we somehow think that if we try to choke this stuff out, somehow God might turn a blind eye or maybe God didn't actually see it down there because we've stuffed it down so deeply. Right? Take it now, Lord. Release me of it. This is how, in the presence of God, God heals us. Amen. It's in that moment. It costs to get the blessings of God. It costs. You need to come to the end of yourself. I'll explain that in a minute. You need to confess what you've been like. You need to let some of the good things go by for the best. You need to get alone with God. It costs. Now, it often confuses me, right? How does it cost me when Jesus paid for it all? Right? If it's all about grace, which it, friends, has to be, right? That means that if there's any little fraction of salvation that is of works, then none of it's grace and all of it's works. Right? It only works absolutely one way or the other. So how does it cost? If it's through repentant faith alone, it's gratuitously a gift of the Heavenly Father through Jesus did on the cross applied to the Holy Spirit. How does it cost? Well, friends, here I believe is the answer. It's the only one I believe that the Lord's given me, so I hope that I'm right. Right? And it's this. It's not that the blessings of God costs. The blessings have been paid for. The cost is the price to be paid to get the flesh out of the way. That's where the cost comes from. Again? Right? It's not the blessing of God that costs us. The blessings have been paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. The cost is the price that we have to pay to get the flesh out of the way so that we can experience those blessings. That's Jacob's wrestling match. And it's yours. And it's mine. It's for all of us. The question is, will you engage these principles in your life, right? To just give up, to throw in the towel and say, I don't on my own have what it takes. And God, this is the way that I really am. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I, I want to let all of these good material things go because I know that there is a godliness that is best for me. There is a semblance of godliness and an achievement in my life, right? That I do not gain through all of this grasping and striving for. I've got to let that stuff pass me by. Get alone with God, right? And truly wrestle the flesh through him. The second question we want to answer about the blessing is what does it look like? What does the blessing of God look like? Here's the first thing. It looks like overcoming through weakness, not through strength. How do we recognize God's blessings in our lives? It's when we're able to overcome, to achieve the recognition of our own weakness, not strength. Overcoming through weakness. Look at verse 28. The angel said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you struggle with God and with men, and have prevailed. Now I've said already, I think that it's wrong to interpret uh, that Jacob was uh, to actually overcome the creator of the universe through wrestling. Okay? I don't believe that's actually what's being taught here. I just want to uh, pause for one second, one little bit, tidbit. I couldn't figure out a way to kind of put this in there to reinforce this uh, rhetorical uh, argument I'm making about the metaphor. Guys, anybody want to take a guess how Jacob was whenever he wrestled with God? Want to take a guess? How old was Jacob when he wrestled with God? That's not bad. 97. Are we to believe a 97-year-old man almost whooped God? And God had to cheat, remember? And God had to cheat. See what I'm saying? It doesn't seem like that's what the story's actually telling us. Right? But it shows that, that what it does show, though, was that the Lord was proportional in his response to the flesh that was in Jacob. Right? Was it like Jacob was going to overcome the angel of the Lord, but the power in that wrestling match was directly proportional to the strength of Jacob's flesh. He wanted Jacob to feel the strength of his own flesh. Don't be dumb 
and think that somehow Jacob was going to whoop God in a wrestling match. Of course, he, you know, of course God could win that. Right? But he overcame into blessing, Jacob did, through submission. Through his weakness. When he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and the Lord knew, this guy's flesh is so strong, I'm going to actually have to do something to his flesh. I'm going to have to do something so that he becomes broken. So Jacob submits to the Lord and he surrenders. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Right? That's where Jacob comes through for the blessing. When he realized this fleshly stuff, this wrestling with this body just isn't going to work. Verse 25, when he saw, the Lord saw, the angel, that he did not prevail against him, the Lord touched the socket of his hip, and on the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled him, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. He's overcoming through his weakness, not his strength. The consequence of this encounter was Jacob's brokenness before the face of God. This was a brokenness. That would end up following Jacob his whole rest of his life. Uh, Verse 31 and 32, as he crossed the Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. For this reason, the Jews don't eat the sinew and the animal that touched Jacob's thigh. Jacob was marked by his brokenness. Now again, I think here's where uh, confusion comes in because we can hear preaching like this, his brokenness, like um, I think we can misunderstand. We're not talking about Here, we're not talking about brokenness like necessarily through sin. We're not talking about things that are done to us by others through the brokenness in in our lives. We're talking about neither is the human condition of fallenness, the total chaos that comes as a result. Pain and distress through sin in general. What we are talking about here, what I am talking about when I talk about brokenness, is the brokenness of the flesh. The inability for our flesh to be successful. That part in us that wants to achieve, to gain God's favor. The one that wants to buy the blessing. Where we finally surrender and we just allow ourselves to be broken in that part of us. Yes, all those other broken broken things that I mentioned through sin, through hurts, through abuse... Right? We bring those things and, and, and we cease to allow them to be used by the devil as a wedge whenever we admit our brokenness and turn them over to God. Actually offer them up to God for our healing. So that that brokenness now becomes a stepping stone to blessedness. This is a wounding as we have become broken before God's holiness. Not so that we're beat down and broken, so that we can be healed. Secondly, I want us to see Jacob uh, and his receiving a God-given identity. If you look at verse 27 and 28, the Lord asks him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Then the reply is, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel means a prince with God. Uh, There's a little bit of debate, actually, about what this Name means, but essentially that's what I think is the best uh, explanation. Prince with God. I said this earlier, to get the blessing of God, you need to confess, right, what you've already been like, what your brokenness is like. And so when, when Jacob says, my name is Jacob, he's saying, I'm twisted. I'm a deceiver. I'm the flesh. Yes, I've been coveting your blessing. I've wanted godly things in my life, but I've been going about it the wrong way. And it's not until that happens that you'll be, if you're able to admit that, that you'll be given a new name. But this is what a blessing looks like. It's receiving a God-given identity. What is a blessing in your life? Is receiving a God-given identity. Can I ask you tonight, what identity might you be striving for, even subconsciously? Is it some kind of caricature, some cardboard cutout of what you might think an ideal Christian should look like, or act like, or think like, right? Something that you may have inherited from some denomination that you're part of whenever you were a kid, or whatever your particular religious tradition is, right? Is it some kind of hero, perhaps, in the Christian biography that you aspire to be like? Don't misunderstand, right? That's not such a bad thing. But we need to come to God in our own brokenness. 
We need to start seeing ourselves as God sees us. That will require a prerequisite of letting some good things pass us by so that we can get alone with God and achieve, or I'm sorry, and receive His best. To allow Him to tell us, to, to allow this great exchange to take place between we and the Creator when we give our broken identity, maybe even a false identity, a contrived identity, and we hand that identity over to the Lord. Lord, this is who I am. So tell me, who am I? What am I to be like? What is my destiny to be? Let me give my old identity over to you. Let me receive my God-given identity. So often we perceive uh, and our reality is such that it's judged by external factors in our lives. Right? Sometimes the way that we see ourselves is only as a reaction to the events that are swirling around our lives. Circumstantial issues that we bump into in our daily lives. So if we have a fearful scenario uh, around us, and it will cause this emotional reaction, right, that causes our thoughts and our, our the strongholds in our mind, right, to hang tight the, the roots that have grown, the yeast of, of dissension that has fermented over the m- m- uh, many years, we find this reality not only in the external, but in the internal as well. We're so trained to the physical sphere, the material realm, that we tend to tune out the spiritual dimension. We need to start hearing not what the devil says about you, not what your old cranky school teacher thought about you, not even what your mother or your father said about you, certainly not their expectations of you. We need to start listening to God. Amen. Right? So, what does this blessing look like? You overcome through weakness, not through strength. You receive a God-given identity. And thirdly, in this blessing, you see God face to face. The blessing, friends, is seeing God face to face. Verse 30. So Jacob called this place uh, Peniel. Peniel here, the face of God. That's what that word means. For I've seen God face to face. My life is preserved. Now I can say to you, seeing God face to face is not what you necessarily understand it to be. When we are talking about being face-to-face with somebody, right? We, when we talk about it, we're literally meaning eyeballs-to-eyeballs, right? It's, I don't think that's what that means in Scripture. Essentially, uh, face-to-face encounters with God are God encounters. You actually experience uh, something of a personal meeting with the Lord. Now... We don't have time to go in depth with this. Come back next week. I've had a request. We're going to talk about angels. Next week, we're going to call it angelology. We're going to talk all all angels all the time. What the Bible says about angels. What you think about angels. Great discussion about angels. Next uh, week. Hope you'll be here. Right? Uh, But this angel was probably the angel of the Lord. Right? There is an apparent anomaly here. We might see what might be a contradiction. Right? Does anybody know the verse that says, uh, um, no man has ever seen God and lived? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Verses insinuate that you can't see God. Yet we have Jacob here, right in the book of Genesis, the first book. Seeing God, according to him, face to face. You may or may not recall Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Moses says, Lord, let me see your glory. I love that. Passage of Scripture. Let me see your glory. Is that not a prayer? It's wonderful. Then the Lord caused all of His goodness to pass before Him, Moses. He wanted to see God's glory. So what does God show Him? He wanted to see God's glory. What does God choose to show Moses? His goodness. He's a good God all the time. His glory is His goodness. But the Lord said to him, when He said, let me see your glory... You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Now we scratch our head, right? Because if Jacob saw the face of God, and the fact the Lord said this part, God who declared that Moses would die, right? If he saw the face of God. 
Now, this is God now I'm quoting. He speaks of having been, been the friend of Moses and having spoken to him face to face. How do we explain this? Well, I think God's up to something here. God wants people who are willing to risk it all to encounter him. Moses was willing to risk this. And now, yes, this might be one way to explain it, right? You can't see the fullness of God and live. Time. Does everybody understand that God is, God is a spirit creator? Right? And that God has a righteousness that is whole and complete. And that no matter how good of a person you are, if your existence ever encountered God's unwavering uh, righteousness, that you would be incinerated on the spot. Right? So, this idea, if you, if you can uh, pick God up out of a lineup, guys, God is a spirit. We're talking about something else here. Right? Let's, let's put our thinking caps on here. Because I think what's really going on here is the Lord is wanting to test our hearts to see which one of us are willing to choose to, well, relate to Him on a rules, legalistic basis, in fear of God, or who those are are willing to risk it all, even their own lives, that they might encounter the heart of God. The ones who go after His heart will be rewarded and they'll see His face. You know something? No one that is reported to have seen the face of God ever died. Not one. So there is this sense, right, in which we do face the Lord. And that means an encounter with God. And when we do risk it, we do die. We die to Jacob. We die to self. We die to even the good that is within us. We die before the face of God. This is categorically the case. No one ever saw God's face and remained the same after they became a new man or a new woman. Right? I hope you need this. I want more of this. Essentially seeing the face of God. Right? I believe this is a God encounter, an experience of God. And if you get to know God, if you seek God, if you're willing to let yourself go, if you're willing to be honest with God about who you've been, seeking God, finding that time with God alone, you will have experiences, and it will be during those experiences that you will have a deepening of a relationship with the Lord. And you will come out of those experiences with a new name. With a change that will be irrevocable. You will not be the same person. So what does it look like? Overcoming through weakness, not strength. Receiving a God-given identity. Seeing God face to face. And then finally, I said I'd come back to this. A memorial of brokenness. So that God gets the glory through all of this. This is what Jacob became, a memorial to brokenness. Right? I think these are two of the most uh, pictographical descriptions in the Bible. Look at verse 31, but I want you to just picture it in your mind. Okay? Just listen to me. Just as he crossed over Penwell, the sun rose on him. And he limped on his hip. You see that? The, the morning is breaking. He's coming away from this encounter of his brokenness with a memorial, a reminder of that brokenness, limping, right? Hebrew uh, eleven twenty one says, at the end of Jacob's life, when he was dying, he blessed each of his sons and the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning over on the top of his staff. To the day he died, apparently, he had that limp. It was a memorial to the brokenness of the flesh in his life. He never got healed of it, apparently. We believe in healing, obviously, but this was a brokenness that was necessary in order that the blessing of God through outflow of him, in order that the fleshly propensity in Jacob should forever be dead. And so he should have a constant reminder of where 
true power lies. Where power with God and power with men and women lie. Because that power, friends, is not in the flesh. But it's in God's Holy Spirit. Who wants to be broken? Not me, thank you very much. Right? I'll take the blessing, but not the brokenness. Friends, there is no blessing without brokenness. And I don't like saying that because I don't want to believe it. I would rather it not true. I don't want that for myself. And that's why I wrestle with my brokenness. I think there are some brokennesses that we should all have to tell to go in our lives because it is not God's intention. Oh, that our eyes would be open, just as Elijah said for Gazi, Lord, open our eyes. These angelic hosts can bring you God encounters tonight, just as they did Jacob. I ask you, do you want one? Yeah. Are you ready for one? Any questions? My goodness, can you see yourself in Jacob? Man, I sure can. What I think I've found through this entire story is, as we climax here with this story of Jacob wrestling with God, but really maybe Jacob wrestling with himself, man, what we seem to find is that the story is not just about this one guy from a long time ago that I'm not even sure exactly existed, but well, my gosh, it's about my life. Somebody who tries hard, who, who, who wants to seek God, but sometimes, just like Jacob, I seem to find myself trying to be who God wants or thinks I need him to be and not I need to be. And maybe in the end, just like Jacob, I'm, I'm not wrestling with God. I'm wrestling with myself. Maybe you are too. Maybe it's time for us to stop wrestling with God and realizing that in this moment, we are alone face to face with God, we're in God's presence. And it's not our strength. In fact, it's through our brokenness we truly experience the victory of a spiritual life. Something to think about. Hey, I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to be talking all about angels. We'll see you next week on Semi-Seminarian.